Good morning, gardeners. I'm Louisa Pringle Cameron from Charleston, South Carolina, bringing you another episode of The Charleston Gardener with the help of my friend and producer, Daniel Patrick. Last week, I explained what I think makes an iconic Charleston garden, and this week, I want to tell you what my husband and I are using to keep the garden in flower this summer. Until we cut back the overhanging crepe myrtle branches, had a crew help us dig up a maze of roots, added bags of compost to the bed, and got rid of most of the weedy perennials that were just barely hanging on, we could never get our southern border to look anything other than tired in summertime. Larkspur saved the look of the beds along our 100-plus foot brick wall in late spring through early June, but needed to be pulled out as the plants dried up and went to seed. Then I found butterfly weed, Asclepius plants, in red, orange, and yellow at a nursery in the upstate while visiting family, brought them home, and have had great success with them in the middle border. They reseed, are good cut flowers, and are steady summer bloomers. I cut them back when they have finished producing seed so they do not take up much room in the fall. Last year, just for fun, I planted Tithonia, the Mexican sunflower, at the very back against the wall. Not only did these sturdy plants grow about seven feet tall and produce masses of brilliant orange flowers, they reseeded and, with a little help from me, are blooming again this June of 2021 along with one or two happy dwarf sunflowers that got mixed in and did not come up last year but germinated this year instead. Tall, pale green stems of loosely clumped plumbago peek through the sunflower foliage with their soft blue round flower heads, providing contrast in color and texture. Perennial plumbago auriculata came to Charleston by way of South Africa and is a reliable addition to any sunny spot. Golden Thryallus Galfimia gracilis is a fast-growing new addition to a dry spot that gets sun, but not full sun. So far, I have been able to keep it in bounds, and while it could be more floriferous if planted a few feet further south in the garden, it is drought-tolerant and has many small seedlings sprouting around its base that I will pot up to share. It is a native of Mexico and has soft dark green leaves and clusters of small chrome yellow five-petal blossoms. The stamen turns redder as the flower opens. A couple of years ago, a friend gave me a few small pots of aloe. These have grown into large plants which have been showy since March. Three to three and a half foot thick stems with pinky orange clusters of tubular blossoms at the top have continuously been emerging from mottled green rosettes of spiky, succulent leaves. They multiply quickly, and we have been dividing them and spreading them down the border as well as giving them away. Aloes are tough, and we have two as yet not positively identified relatives in pots that have also done well. They are either mangaves or manfredas. The mangave is a cross between an agave and a manfreda, and seems to be high up on the list of currently popular plants. There is a smorgasbord of them for sale on Etsy. 
Ours have been in their pots for several years and have just set up a four-foot-tall rod-straight spike with small burgundy flowers at the top that look somewhat like sparklers. It's the first time they've bloomed, and they are gorgeous. I will post a photo on the website, which is www.gocharlestongardener.com. Next to the aloe, lavender-flowering Tradescantia pallida, a spiderwort commonly called wandering Jew, flourishes and wanders over the warm brick borders and adjacent flagstone pads that are in front of nearby benches. This particular spiderwort has dark purple fleshy leaves and makes an excellent mid-height ground cover. It also adds deep contrast and texture in the front of the border. Several kinds of phlox, lantana, nasturtiums, petunias, verbenas, cosmos, and zinnias are blooming at the moment, and the clematis that was damaged by someone stepping on it has recovered and is slowly climbing back up a nearby painted metal structure. It gets full sun in the afternoons, but not all day. We have had very little rain, but dry weather helps to keep down the mildew and lets me gather seeds easily from the larkspur, poppies, nasturtiums, and coreopsis that I'm letting go to seed in certain less conspicuous parts of the border. I am encouraging the red and orange cherry tomatoes to take over by allowing them to grow over other plants because they are so delicious that the ones we pick never even make it to the kitchen. The orange-yellow variety, whose tag I cannot find, is sweet as sugar. I think it may be sun gold. I recently read that they thrive and produce more fruit with a few doses of banana water made by letting a banana peel soak in a large jar of water overnight or all day. I've been feeding my plants with this every few days, and they are definitely producing more heavily than last year. Amaranths and cleome seeds germinated toward the back of the border and are now small plants. I've had trouble with germinating cleome for several years and look forward to having a small section bloom and go to seed, for it came back several years in a row in a sunny bed at our garden in North Carolina. At one of the local plant sales, I purchased a pot with three small sesame plants in it. They are slow to grow, but are about five inches tall now. I have no idea how they will tolerate the heat and humidity to come, as I've never grown these before. The straw flower plants I bought are reddish-orange and have grown over five feet, much to my surprise. They last for a very, very long time in an arrangement and are probably the easiest of all flowers to dry, but I found them difficult to keep from wilting in full sun and had to water them daily until they were well established. The ones in part sun did much better. We tucked a few bougainvilleas in corners and on arbors, and they are starting to bloom with the heat and a recent blessed heavy rainstorm. To our surprise, the climbing hydrangea schizophragma and the tall white Japanese iris beneath it are still in flower. Mixed in with all the above are a couple of dozen daylilies that I ordered from a farm just down the coast. They were small divisions, but have thrived in spite of some rust and aphids. I am constantly debriding dead leaves from around the base of the plants, and I try to remember to pick off the dead blossoms every day. There are some striking reds that are my favorites at the moment. Speaking of striking, one of my absolute favorite plants that appears every year is the Gloriosa lily, 
Gloriosa Rothschildiana. It is a knockout. The center is chartreuse ringed in bright yellow, and the six long petals spreading out from the center are deep red, sometimes edged with yellow. The bloom turns inside out as it matures in a day or two, and the petals become narrower, giving it a slightly different but fantastic shape. Gloriosas come up where they please as they move about by tuber and seed. These lilies are strong climbers and clamber up our lemon trees, tea olives, figs, and roses. It took me several years to get them established, but now they are in numerous spots throughout the garden, except on the arbors where I would like them to take over for the summer and run up the spent climbing roses. The Alstroemeria lilies that I brought into the garden decades ago continue to spread deeply around the bases of the shrubs in the beds, and I don't think we will ever be able to get rid of them. At least they make great cut flowers. I offer them to anyone who will dig them and take them away. Friends have reported Easter lilies, Lilium longiflorum, as late blooming in their gardens, along with several varieties of hydrangeas. I've spotted Ruelia, Mexican petunia, society garlic, many hibiscuses, and many begonias. So, Daniel, would you like some Alstroemeria lilies? In a sturdy pot, of course. Of course. <laughs> they are not the plant of the week. This week's plant is the lovely, soft Natchituck rose that blooms for months and wants to grow at least six feet tall. I keep the one in the border severely pruned so it will stay in scale. Others produce masses of flowers next to old azaleas and have grown almost seven feet. It doesn't seem to mind that it's heavily pruned. It's a found rose that had been blooming by a grave near a fort in Natchituck, spelled N-A-T-C-H-I-T-O-C-H-E-S, Louisiana, for over 100 years, according to the Antique Rose Emporium. I don't know if the wind blows the seeds through the garden or if the birds deposit them as they roost, but we have several small plants in odd places that we are nurturing until winter when we can move them without too much trauma. So finally, as Benjamin Disraeli once said, how fair is a garden amid the trials and passions of existence. (laughs) 